You're listening to Cadence, a podcast for creatives. I'm Hafsa. And I'm Yen. And this is our inaugural episode. We're here. We did it. Yes. Oh my gosh. We're finally recording after a few months of this being just a really fun idea that we had one day, right? Yeah, just sitting outside having coffee uh-huh. and it just struck us. Yes. I can't believe it's happening. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to have some really good conversations with the guests that we're slating to have on our show. This is our first time doing a podcast. I'm certainly not really a podcast listener. It's kind of been a an interesting journey of actually doing one like like everybody else's. I know it's kind of odd to have the audacity to do a podcast when neither one of us is really uh, a devout listener to to any one podcast. But we do want to thank um, the people that helped make this possible, including this beautiful spot that we're sitting in. We're in the podcast room at Venue here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And they are, have just been incredible uh, supporters and sponsors of this space of collaboration and helping us get the tech set up for this. Absolutely. It's been a dream to work here. I've been co-working from this spot for uh, the past couple of weeks, and it's lovely. I highly recommend if you're in the area, come have a fantastic lunch from Venue's own chef. Yes, or a pastry from the uh, cafe that's open at 7 a.m. most mornings. Yes. That's where I got my espresso this morning. Took a sip. Yeah, and my um, my my shaken iced tea this morning. So good. <laughs> so a little bit about us. I am a Taiwanese, Malaysian, Chinese, definitely Asian appearing uh, American. I have lived and worked in Ypsilanti for the last ooh, seven years. I went to the University of Michigan, Stamp School of Art and Design. I did my first year at the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, where I thought I was going to be a fashion designer and burned out after the first year. And I am currently a graphic recorder, which means that I go into spaces where people are talking and I draw what they're saying in real time. And the very first thing that everyone always asks me is, oh, like a court illustrator. And no, I don't do court drawings. I actually do drawings that look more like infographics and uh, lots of information, lots of text. And I try to pull personal moments from each convening that I'm sitting in uh, into the illustration. I also take commissions. And previously, my work has been in communications or some sort of creative direction. But for the last 12 years, I have only worked a nine to five for two and a half years, mm. short stints here and there. Mm. Um, and then realized that because my personal mantra is I don't like being told what to do, um, I go back to working for myself. Oh, that's me. There you go. That's it's the pit, it's the trap. <laughs> yes, trap. The trap. <laughs> My name, so yeah, I'm Hafsa um, Ingenua. I am an African-American, half Nigerian, hijabi. Um, I've been living in the Michigan area for the past, gosh, it's kind of a blur, 10 or so years. I'm not originally from Michigan. I have a little bit of sort of a weird army brat background because my grandmother was a teacher and she taught at a lot of different colleges around the United States. So I've been in New York for a bit. Um, Half grew up in Kansas City, Kansas, half in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, I've been to 
um, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado for a little bit. So I, I feel like I'm not really from anywhere, but I feel settled in Michigan, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Ypsilanti, Michigan. I went to Washtenaw Community College for uh, my associates in graphic design. While I was at WCC, I kind of went off the beaten path into um, 2D animation and video production. So uh, Washtenaw Community College has a really fantastic um, kind of technical program there, their, their digital media arts program, and met a lot of really great people through that program. Teachers were fantastic, and it really kind of led me to where I am now. Um, so I work in tech as a graphic designer and motion designer, and what motion design is is just basically animation. So I make like uh, animated explainers for companies and, and um, clients. Um, I should go back a little bit prior to my career where I did freelance as a graphic designer. Out of school, I, I didn't know what I could do with the skill set. You know, it was like I knew I wanted to do something that was creative, that allowed me to leverage illustration, um, but I didn't really know where to take it. And then one day someone said, hey, can you make me some editorial illustrations for, you know, the school paper? And I was like, oh, cool, I can do that. <laughs> and things just kind of, you know, kept going from there. I started to make posters and graphics for clients outside of school. Um, and from there, I started to freelance. You know, I wasn't getting paid a whole lot, but I did get paid. And um, that definitely kept me kind of passionate about the work that I was doing. And now I'm here working in tech. I love the work that I do, and it enables me to do awesome stuff like this. One of the things that we just opened up with is our appearance. And mm -hmm. the thing that Hafsa and I, that I love talking to you about is the fact that we are not white female femmes in the creative world. And we've talked about how does the world perceive us? How mm -hmm. does our appearance affect the way that clients receive us? Mm -hmm. And how does that affect our work relationships and collaborations? Mm -hmm. And I even think about it to this day the the role of of being a silent Asian woman yeah. in the room. <laughs> I could be at a conference where there's 2,000 people right. and they may see what I'm drawing. It may get blasted up on this big screen. Sometimes they do a shout out and I wave and smile. <laughs> and it's just, it really, really messes with my psyche. I think that it's this stereotype of the silent Asian person, right. particularly women that are... Um, docile or obedient. And I'm constantly pushing back against that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm overly obnoxious when I go up to a client and I'm like, hi, I'm Yana Zaro. I'm the graphic recorder. And and then I never speak again. <laughs> so, but at least they know you're there at that point, right? You're yes. not just going to be the person that's, you know, sort of floating around and existing. And I think it's a really good point too, because, you know, yes, people like us, there are a lot of sort of stereotypes associated with, you know, what the sort of expected behavior is, uh -huh. right? You know, they see, uh, you know, particularly an Asian woman or, you know, a Muslim woman in a hijab and, you know, maybe they're already making these sort of conceptions about, you know, what that interaction is going to feel like. And so you almost have to control that narrative and control that experience from the outset by being like, hey, hi, my name is, this is who I am, you know, nice to meet you. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, because there are so many times that I will introduce myself. Hi, my name is Yen. Oh, hi, Jen. It's very oh, nice God. to meet you. It happened. It happened over the weekend. So <laughs> it's it's the ongoing uh, management of 
am I doing my job right? Did I bring all the skills and mm. tools that I needed for this job? And I get to manage the microaggressions along the way. Absolutely. What are So this is sort of tangential too, but because I, I run into the same thing, particularly with my name, and I've sort of learned to just kind of look past it. It's like, I know Hafsa isn't, you know, the easiest name to say, but I, a lot of people that I know who do come from, you know, different backgrounds, maybe they have complex names, um, they sort of give up on, you know, just telling people like, hey, this is my name, this is who I am, and they'll, you know, acquiesce to something that's more Western sounding or a little bit more appropriate. And I don't know, do you have thoughts around, especially for younger people who might find themselves in that situation, they're moving into, you know, whatever their career is going to be, how do they sort of retain that sense of who they are via their name without appearing, you know, overcorrective or or whatever it might be? Right. That's a great point. I'm probably a half generation older than you. And I think that for a lot of the peers in my age group, we kind of relegated ourselves to having a name like, hi, my name is Jen, or having an American name, or really uh, abbreviating our name to fit the scenario. And it starts really early. Mm -hmm. It starts in grade school. And we just assimilated and acclimated to a comfort level for everybody else that didn't speak to who we were at home necessarily. And I think that, or at least I hope that with the younger generations following us, that there is more pride that my name is seven syllables long, Mm -hmm. or it may include an inflection that is not represented in Mm -hmm. um, the English language. And this is who I am. And if you want to get to know me, this is you're going to deal with my name. I had a student a couple years ago, and she had a really long, beautiful name. And when we were doing intros over Zoom, she said, but you can just call me Lucy. And I said, well, that is really different than your full name. Which one do you want me to call you? And she did ultimately land on Lucy, but I think it was just because her name was so long and beautiful, Mm -hmm. and nobody had ever really taken the time or the patience to learn it in the classroom. So I... I feel like there's still constant battles to be tackled every day. But generally, my thought is be who you want to be. I think that I've spent so much time adjusting against what people thought I was going to be that I never really landed on who I was until the last couple (laughs) years. Um, So yes, say your full name, say the name that you want to be called, and don't be afraid to correct people because it's just as awkward for them to not say your name correctly or not remember your name two weeks after you've been working together as it is for you to correct them. Absolutely. That's such a good point. And it's it's all part of sort of building that relationship too. You want to be able to start out on the right foot and not an awkward foot, right? Mm -hmm. Name is so important. (laughs) Get the name right. So in terms of kind of the content of this podcast and, you know, what we hope listeners will be able to get out of it, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the format that we're going to pose going forward. Um, So Yen had this great idea when we first, you know, kind of chatted about what the themes and structure of this podcast would be. And we had talked about discussing this leisure and then labor kind of component and sort of augmenting that with listener homework. And so 
maybe I think you'll articulate this a little better than I can. I understand the, <laughs> the fundamentals of it, but you use the words so well. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. The only contention that I have is that we say leisure Le- oh, two right. different ways. And I, I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I, the name of our podcast is Cadence, yes. right? We were thinking about the rhythm and the consistency that it takes to be a creative person. You have to be pretty gutsy yes. and uh, audacious to say, I'm going to go out in the world and just be a creative person. And whether that means that you work for someone, work for yourself, there are a lot of tactical, practical, and then also these conceptual and lofty ideas that surround doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um The labor is really about looking at a particular uh, topic and putting our personal experiences and perspectives into it, Mm -hmm. but also in our show, folding in guests that can share their unique expertise and insight. And the leisure part of it is reflecting on the outcomes and learnings from the experiences and then deciding what parts of it are exciting or opening up new opportunities for us. What can we learn about this as we combine this with our tactical practices? And we want to hear this from our guests as well. Structuring this podcast in this way, because again, kind of coming back to me being someone who doesn't really listen to podcasts a whole lot, but I really, I recognize the value in being able to listen to expertise and perspectives from from different people and sort of, you know, conversational format. I, I think it's really helpful to have this particular structure in place because it makes the content actionable, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you you listen to something that is touching on a theme that, you know, may or may not be important to you. You might still get something out of it, but then it challenges you to, you know, kind of look at the way you approach your work, whether it's, you know, personal or professional um, or even just, you know, kind of the way that you're moving in the world and think about, you know, how can I do something a little bit better? You know, where where is there friction in my own process? How can I overcome that friction? You know? Mm-hmm. Right. And the minutia of just being frozen with um, where do I start? Mm-hmm. Where did I go wrong? Yeah. Um, how do I respond to this client now? I mean, all of that is going to be part of this podcast because Hafsa and I have lived it. And we're still learning along the way. Yes. And that's a lot of the reason why we wanted to start. We, we had talked about, you know, the things that we wish we had known before we set out on our journey, you know, from the financial elements of it to just managing your time to, you know, working through creative challenges to, you know, building your own personal brand, all mm-hmm. of these things that we learn about it when we're in school, you know, through through our teachers and through our mentors, but actually doing it yourself is always, you know, it's that challenge of setting out on a uncharted path. Right. And I think at some point, actually, as we're you're saying this now, we should probably have an episode about how young people talk to their parents about going to art school oh or saying, hey, I've decided to become an artist to the chagrin <laughs> or a designer. <laughs> yes. And Maybe some responses or research that absolutely students can do. I love that. I love that <laughs> approach. Yeah, it's like how do you how do you justify this to a skeptical parent? Right, like, I can make money off yes. of being an artist in the in twenty twenty three or twenty four. Yes. <laughs> so, and coming up with this format, you know, obviously we we sort of manipulated and 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 tweaked things as we went along. Wanted to talk a little bit about 
how to take action on ideas. So this podcast, obviously, it was an idea. It was literally just a conversation between me and Yen over coffee. We found that we had some interesting experiences that often overlapped, but were you know different enough to uh, just have a conversation about and really think about you know that evolution of a creative from in different stages of their lives. Um, and so you know, thinking in terms of this podcast, we had the idea and, and now we're doing it. But, you know, it might look different for different, you know, art forms. So, you know, if you wanted to think about becoming a graphic designer and, you know, you have an idea for a project or you're a muralist or an artist and you want to do an installation, you know, whatever that germ of an idea is, how do you make that germ into, you know, a beautiful ray of sunshine, beautiful bouquet of flowers that you can show off. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to kick that off with really getting down to the fundamentals of what an idea is. And I think, and I, I like to think of ideas as sort of schematics that have not been built yet, right? It's, it's a map and there's points on this map and you have to figure out how am I going to get from, you know, point A to point B and, you know, point G is over here, but there might be some other things that you have to contend with in order to get there. And at the end of the day, it's it's all planning, right? And sometimes planning can sound a little bit, you know, a little bit tedious or a little bit boring, but I really think it's such a fundamental part of the creative process, right? Like even just working in tech, you know, I make explainers for a living and it all comes down to planning to, you know, get to that final video piece, you know, working with your collaborators to figure out what is the story that we're telling? How do we want to tell it? Who is the audience going to be? Um, is it on brand? Or, you know, what does the visual look and feel need to be? Um, it's, it's all a kind of sort of tactical organization in a way. And it, all, it's, it starts with that one idea of saying, hey, we need to communicate this message or we want to do this. But that really unfolds into this sort of larger tier of, of, of stuff, this sort of map that you then need to kind of travel. That resonates with me so much, Hafsa. Um, even as an illustrator, I work with clients a lot of times on commissions that really require a very stringent path. Um, I think a lot of people think that they give me an idea and then I'm just supposed to draw it. And mm -hmm. actually, I want it fully scripted. We're working off a spreadsheet. It's a very, very dry process before it gets to the fun stuff. But that ensures that I deliver the product that the client wants because we've already agreed on it beforehand. Um, as we're talking about this planning process, I was so impressed with all the ways and softwares that you were throwing in front of me. You're like, Yen, I have a app for this. I have an app for this. I have a service for this. And Love I'm like, apps. I'm just learning everything from you. Uh, so if there's something on the creative path that I would say we need to bullet point is that you should always learn from people that are better at you uh, in the room. And I've definitely garnered that expertise from you doing this. No, I mean, ditto. You know, I, I feel like this is another bullet point that I kind of have around this topic is, you know, find collaborators who really complement your skill sets. And, you know, if you can't find those collaborators in person, look for sources of expertise. You know, there's so many places to, you know, get inspiration from or, you know, take some some learnings, to use that lovely corporate word, a nice learning, <laughs> you know, uh, 
the people that you work with, and, and I think this also is something to kind of the different creative mindsets, right? Of like, you know, extroversion versus introversion. And obviously, I think a lot of artists especially kind of thrive sort of working alone. Um, but if you have another collaborator to kind of partner with and sort of fuse your, your you know, your, your unique skill sets together, that can really help in kind of forming that path that you eventually follow and, and creating, you know, whatever it is you're setting out to create. So definitely, you know, learning from people, not being afraid to talk to people. Like that's the thing that I'm still kind of <laughs> wrestling with on my own is like sometimes having that fear of just going up to somebody and, and saying, you know, hey, you're a creative, I'm a creative, let's chat. You know, mm -hmm. those can make for some really awesome moments like this. Yes. Um, I love this bullet point that you have. So we skipped over panic and desperation. Oh, right. oh God. I know. <laughs> I mean, I think back to the early jobs or even now when I'm considering a commission and you think, do I take this because I don't have this experience? Do I take this because they want to ask for a cut on the rates? Or do I do this because it's for an organization that I really care about? And um, the way that you have it here, the forcing function to help create plans of action, like it's so true. That deadline is a driver in the work that we do. And maybe some of us are chronic procrastinators and we'll we'll talk about that at some point oh, during yes. this season. Mm -hmm. um, but, but really, really trusting in the process, going back to that piece about building a plan and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces is so important because you do not want that feeling of panic to overtake your practice. Exactly. Your practice should not be only the one thing that you do. So if I'm an illustrator, I'm not just drawing. I'm going to the museum. I'm listening to music that inspires me. I'm talking to other creatives that do other mediums so that I can understand how they work. Um, I'm reading books maybe in the area that uh, I work in, but maybe outside of my topic as well. Um, you're watching YouTube videos, mm -hmm. you're going to library talks. There's no one way to drive your practice, but certainly um, having something forcing you to get to be better is great, but making it a part of your daily practice is most important. I can think back to when I was in school, and I'm sure many people, especially who are in art school, can relate to that feeling of, oh gosh, I have a deadline, oh god, it's in a week, and I have to do all of these things, and... I think it's important to sort of appreciate that sort of adrenaline that that sort of, mm -hmm. you know, feeling of urgency gives you. I, I think sometimes it can actually help your creative process in a weird way. But it's important, I think, like you said, to not get stuck in that feeling, right? Because it, it's so easy to just make that sort of the endless cycle of you're constantly sort of on a thread of time and you have this much bandwidth to do you know, X amount of work. And, you know, as much as, you know, the adrenaline can help your process, it can also sort of hurt your process to not give yourself the leeway and the flexibility and the planning to produce something that, you know, you're proud of or that the client likes. And I think that is really a difference between what a creative does and really what any other kind of... Um, Profession. I mean, there are certainly professions where you need to practice, right? Like, I don't want you to be a first-time uh, surgeon um, <laughs> with the scalpel. 
Yeah, just like a tattoo artist needs uh, hundreds of hours mm-hmm. practicing on that grapefruit or a generous friend, right? <laughs> right. Um, there, I, th- I think the interesting thing about being an artist or designer is that the hours of st- sheer studio or in-lab or tech room practice that you're putting in is hours and hours and hours. And those are the hours that you need to shorten and get better at as you get closer to becoming a certain level of professional working with a client. So maybe in in art school, it took you 30 hours to complete this project, and maybe 15 years later, it should take you 10, mm-hmm. right? But I, I think that the, the process is really important. Absolutely. The last bullet point I have here is to avoid getting stuck. Um, and this comes from a conversation I was having um, with a friend a couple of weeks ago. She was working on um, a project for a client and, you know, she had been through a few rounds of revisions. You know, she had had a little bit of a vision in her head. Her vision was being a little bit changed by the person that she was working with. And she told me, you know, she was starting to feel stuck. She didn't know where to go, you know, and she was feeling really frustrated with the work. um, And it was kind of pushing her to this point where she was just, you know, the, the self-doubt. It's like, is this something that I want to keep doing, you know, even if I'm being paid well? And one thing that, you know, I kind of told her, you know, knowing in my heart that I had been in her exact place many, many times, is don't see, you know, stuck as stop or give up. See it as an opportunity to adapt and to, you know, find a different way to approach the problem. You know, especially, you know, with graphic design, with anything artistic or creative, but in graphic design, we often talk of, you know, design as being a function of problem solving. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, whatever a medium is, or, you know, maybe there's a messaging problem, there's a visual problem, something doesn't look great, maybe the client is having problems articulating themselves, Whatever it is, you know, it's a problem to be solved. And I believe almost any problem can be solved if you, you know, look at different ways of tackling it, you know. And, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, differences in creativity, I think that there are really um, hopefully helpful ways that you can kind of move around that friction and, you know, figure out like, you know, hey, this is what you're seeing. I, I think there's also some empathy to it, right? The empathy of, you know, trying to understand the client's perspective or how somebody else might be seeing the problem. I'm kind of zooming in on that, you know, double clicking on, you know, what that area of friction is and saying, okay, this is the issue. Maybe we just need to change a color or maybe it's the wrong medium. Maybe it's the wrong platform. Maybe the wording can be different, whatever that issue is adapting and and working around it. I, I, I really think that a lot of creative frustration comes from, you know, feeling stuck and feeling like, you know, you're at an impasse, you can't move forward, but you just have to find that sort of chink in the wall and, and kind of squeeze in and mm-hmm. make it make it fit. <laughs> <laughs> I like that visual. And also, when you are stuck, offering yourself some grace to stop. There have been so many times where I just had to put something to rest and the next day, the, the idea came so much yes. more quickly. Um, just hitting your head against the wall doesn't do anyone any no. good. So just just take rest. Take the breaks um, when you need them, even if you have to force yourself to. Absolutely. Oh, God. That's a whole episode in itself is <laughs> the creative rest. Knowing when to say, let's stop. Yes. 
One of the things that we have prided ourselves in during this process is knowing that we're going to give you practical things to do uh, in between episodes and after this season. This is our homework uh, tactical portion. So here are some takeaways that we want you to take with you today. If you have a spark of an idea, follow it. See what happens. Could be a podcast. Could be a mural. Could be whatever it is. But if you see the spark, if you see the star, chase it. This may be difficult, but we want you to get out there and meet people. Whether you're an introverted creative or somebody that really loves to get out there, it can pay off with great relationships that you otherwise would have missed out on. I, for one, went to all the network mixers when I started out in the art world, and I hated them, but sometimes they feed you, and sometimes you get a business card or a contact that you'll, you never know. You could still be talking to this person 10 years later, and that has definitely happened with me. Same, same. Make the time to make a plan, even if it's rough. And here's the thing about making plans, too. It doesn't have to be this whole you know, formal thing. You don't have to be the meme of the guy with like all the string on the wall, you know, making the whole thing. Like a, a plan is really, it's an approach, right? It's like, you know, let's use a stupid example. You plan to go to the store, you make a list, you're going to get some rhubarb, some milk, some eggs, and you're going to come home like that. There's your, your quick plan to go to the store. So a plan can be rough. You know, if you're having a hard time figuring out where to go or how to get there, just sit down with yourself for a minute formulate a quick strategy even if it's just a simple one and it's just three bullet points it can make all the difference yes now we are getting to our homework assignments i really love this first one hafsa it is pick up an idea that you discarded or never finished get a second opinion from someone you trust maybe someone who has never even heard about what you're working on because they will have the freshest perspective Take the time to build a strategy around how you'll accomplish that idea today. Maybe when you dropped it a year ago, you were in a different mental space. And today you have more energy, more experience, and more patience for this process. Assignment number two, set your own requirement for what done looks like. And keep in mind not to leave things too open-ended, but just done enough to your satisfaction. You know, it, you don't have to, you know, design the Sistine Chapel in a week. Maybe you're just, you know, making the, the face of the Mona Lisa and that's that's done for you today. Set your requirement, you know, do something that makes you feel like you've accomplished something that you feel, that you feel satisfied with and move on if you need to and then come back and reassess. Definitely. On the next episode, we're going to have Dr. Cam McComb joining our conversation about leveraging education and how to cultivate self-worth. And when we say education, that is very open-ended. It could be self-educated. Maybe you went to a local workshop or community college, or maybe you're aiming at art or design school. Um, we're hoping that this topic will interest those that are thinking about college, currently in college, or just wondering what the heck is next. Um, maybe you're out of school and you're trying to make it as a creative, but you're not really figuring out how to follow this non-traditional path, or you're just thinking, I have some momentum. Maybe I'm thinking about school. What will I gain if I do or don't do it? What are the personal and financial gains? 
Um, Dr. Cam McComb is, among many other things, the Associate Professor of Visual Arts Education at Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti, and we are so excited to have her here and share her expertise with us. I'm really stoked for that. I have I have questions, but it's going to be a great conversation. It is. If you like this podcast, be sure to heart, like, and subscribe to Cadence wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at at Cadence Podcast, or check out our episodes and more at thecadencepod.com. We are proudly based in Ypsilanti, Michigan, recording from the podcast studio at Venue by 4M in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And we hope that wherever you're creating from in the world, you are marching to your own cadence. Thanks for listening. Bye.